1: What's wrong I got nothing for you What, what what's wrong you? <laughs> Right there. That was so
0: good. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to the Reformatory, the podcast for the local church and by the local church. And we are your local churchmen, but not the regular local churchmen. As you all know, it has been a month of interviews. We have pulled in the A team of individuals to cover for Jack as he's having his first kid. Um, uh, as of the time of this recording, uh, he just had it just a two or three days ago baby's doing great mama's doing great um so we are very very happy for that but we have had an incredible month of interviews and we are ending with a grand finale we're ending with a bang we have Mr. Nick Batsik in the house today Nick first off my friend let me just say thank you a massive thank you uh to me or, or from me and as well uh on behalf of Jack for for covering for him man we really really appreciate you being here
1: Well, Josh, thanks for having me on. It's great to to be on with you.
0: Right on. Right on. All right. So, Nick, before we hop into our topic today, I would love just to give you the opportunity. uh, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you? Uh, Tell them kind of what you do, any weird tidbits that you want to throw at them, and then I would love to hear about your local church as well, my friend.
1: Sure. So, I pastor um, a... Presbyterian Church, PCA Church in Charleston, South Carolina. It's called Church Creek Presbyterian. I've been here two years, just over two years. And then I write part-time for Ligonier. I'm an associate editor for Ligonier. So I write special projects um, for Ligonier I wrote the little false teaching field guide on false teaching that came out yeah. a couple of years ago that Ligonier's given Great out book. a lot. Um, and then before that, I pastored a Presbyterian church up in Chattanooga on Signal Mountain. And before that, I planted and pastored a church in Savannah, Georgia, in the PCA. So I've been a church planner or pastor for going on 15 years.
0: That is awesome, man. That's awesome. Now, now, did you did you grow up in in Presbyterianism, or is that something that 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 you kind of kind of found yourself? And walk me through that journey a little bit.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a very strong Reformed home. When when I was born, I was um, baptized in a Reformed Episcopal Church, which back in the late seventies was still a very strong denomination. Now it's kind of very Anglo Catholic, and I would not. Recommend a lot of Reformed Episcopal churches. It's got a kind of federal vision flavor to it now, um, but we came into OPC and PCA churches about forty-one years ago. I think it was about five or six years old, and have been in them since. So
0: that's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right, so so grew up with it. Um, then did you go in? Did you always have this idea growing up that you wanted to be? Uh, in the ministry? Or is that something that, that God kind of like me kind of kind of hits did, you upside the head with and was like, Oh, I guess I did, we're going listen, this direction now.
1: <laughs> I did my body weight in drugs and I did a bunch of other terrible stuff. <laughs> ministry wow, was not even on the table. I was converted at 24 out of radical, radical darkness and rebellion. And, um, and, and after the Lord brought me to repentance he I think my sense of call to gospel ministry happened almost simultaneous to my being converted I just had a strong desire to preach the word and um, and that was 22 year 22 years ago this October so wow
0: so okay so I am not privy to any of that info I I actually don't know your testimony man so it sounds like there's quite sounds like there's a long yeah. story that could be a podcast in and of itself but tell me yes. something that something something i would love to hear that i always love hearing from uh yeah uh, people that i get to interview is what was what were the circumstances what was the thing that the lord used to bring you to an understanding of the gospel
1: i mean m- mine was a very radical conversion i was in the gutter i knew i was lost i knew what the truth was i had a lot of intellectual assent to the truth of scripture I knew that Christ was who he claimed to be in scripture. I mean, my, my dad faithfully taught my sister and me. And so all the seeds were kind of there. I just wasn't regenerate. So I knew I was in just incredible darkness for almost a decade. And the Lord used a bunch of different things all happening at the same time to just bring me to a place of repentance. So I had kids coming up to buy a pound of marijuana for me the day I was converted. And they were friends from where I grew up in Southeast Georgia and I'm weeping over my sins. And they're like, what's Mm. wrong with you? (laughs) I mean, Mm. I kind of wish I could be a fly on the wall back when all that happened. But, um, but yeah, the Lord just, I knew the gospel and he just really sent strong convictions. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that that is awesome. That's awesome. Uh, our, uh, I think our listeners know, um, but but so I grew up. My folks ran a residential counseling facility for for, for drug addicts, right? Um, mm. And uh, um, um, drug addicts, um, alcoholics, uh, girls and women suffering from um, all manner of addictions, eating disorders, things like that. So I I grew up uh, just kind of surrounded by that culture by those those individuals and i gotta say man there is nothing i think i think it resulted in one having having a very soft heart for the addict i think i don't i don't think i don't think you can grow up in an environment like that and not and not right um but one of the greatest privileges that i was given by the lord as a kid was to see exactly what you're talking about these lives that have been just encapsulated in darkness for so long and some Mm -hmm. of the, some of the deepest darkness that there is come to an understanding of the grace that is found in the gospel. And just the, the amount of change that you see almost, almost overnight Nick is incredible. And it's not something that I don't think I, I understood in the moment how, Powerful of a thing that that is, and what an impact that has on an individual, especially as you grow older and you go into ministry and 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 you start experiencing other stuff like that, dude, like this i am i it, it, it I it's mean, an people, experience I'll that that, that thing, I can't experiment
1: I mean in the church after I was converted, it was very common for every Christian family in the churches in which I was a member to bring their kids who were drug addicts to me to pursue them. Um, that, that's also a very powerful thing that, you know, the Lord uses your rebellion in, in how others want to position you around people they care about to, to give them the gospel and whatnot.
0: Absolutely, man. It's such a, such a powerful testimony to the grace of God and the, 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 the true change that comes from the gospel. So, so you have this incredible, you know, you know this 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 incredible, uh, you know, change in your life. You feel that calling into the ministry. Obviously, have you know been a pastor before, been church planted before. I would love to hear a little bit about the church that you pastor right now. Um, give me, give me, you know, you know two two or three things about the the church where you are at right now that you just absolutely love, absolutely adore.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's easy. The people are really sweet and are really easy to love, which is just a beautiful thing when you're in ministry, because that's not always the case. And I know you'll have pastors that hear this that know that, and I know that from experience in the past. But um, the people are just, they're just really, really sweet, loving people. Um, They're, you know, the church is growing very healthily on numerically, spiritually, and then this is not part of a church, and so I hesitate to say it, but we do have a really beautiful building we worship in. They built it 12 years ago to look like a 250-year-old Charleston oh, building. So they really they did it right. Um, it's a 50-year-old church, and I am the fourth pastor in 50 years. So they had some guys with some pretty long pastorates.
0: Wow, wow, wow. Now, did you... So I've I've been in situations like that in ministry where you are coming in to a situation where this church has either been around for a long time or the previous guy that they had has been there for a long time. Did you did you go in with a little fear and trembling on that? Just just wondering, like, okay, I wonder if I'm going to be, you know, accepted here.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, when you plan a church, you can kind of do whatever you want to do. And I don't mean that in an autocratic sense. I mean, you're the guy doing it all. You have a provisional session of elders maybe over here, but you're the only one leading. Um, I think for me, going on staff for two years as a preaching pastor in an established church in Chattanooga at Wayside PCA... I think that kind of deprogrammed the church planner part of me and made me ready to kind of come in and go a little bit slower. Um, mm-hmm. And there is some trepidation, but COVID had really, really gutted the church. And so yeah. in many respects, the people were really begging me, would you please lead us? We want a pastor to lead us. And they've, they've been amazing just in, you know, so I, but I still have that. I mean, I, you know, in many respects, the church two years in is very different than what I inherited two years ago. In other ways, it's the same. You try to keep as much of it, but, you know, I'm always concerned about too much change too fast. Mm-hmm. After a while, mm-hmm. people get tired of that. So, yeah,
0: yeah. Sure, sure, sure. You're trying now, was to strike that balance. In the PCA?
1: Of, it, yes, it, it's been in the PCA for forty, I guess, forty of the uh, fifty years, something like that. Okay.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that 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 works a good segue into kind of what I'm hoping to talk about today, Nick. And it's this. It's this. It's this topic of of reformed catholicity now. For for some of our listeners who, who uh, maybe are, uh, you know, maybe a little uh, brand new into Reformed theology or things like that, they hear the word Catholicity and uh, the red flags go up pretty quick um, because it has the word Catholic in it, right? Um, so, uh, Nick, being someone who is much, much more learned than I, when we talk about the term Catholicity, or specifically in the context of this episode, Reformed Catholicity, what are we talking about there, man? Can you help kind of kind of guide our listeners along that that trail a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, I on one hand, I'm not crazy about that as a nomenclature, not because mm-hmm. I don't agree with the essence of what we're going to talk about but because different people mean different things when they say that. So the idea of resourcement, you know, retrieval, retrieving things that the church has kind of neglected. Um, And so, right, the writings throughout all of church history, the early church fathers, Irenaeus and, you know, Augustine, and all through Athanasius and Ambrose and Bernard of Clairvaux and all the – all the guys and, you know, all of that is part of Catholicity. And that's what we want to retrieve as Reformed people because that's our heritage. And we're, you know, we're not reinventing Trinitarianism, right? Protestantism is holding fast to Nicene Trinitarianism and Chalcedonian Christology and all of the things that the church has collectively embraced. Um, At the same time, some people use it... For almost an uncritical reappropriation of like Thomas Aquinas, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I could say yes, I'm I'm a Reformed Catholic, and yes, we should read Thomas Aquinas, and yes, there's a lot about his doctrine of God and doctrine of uh, predestination and election that we can value and hold on to. At the same time, uh, he is championing indulgences and purgatory and veneration of Mary and papal infallibility. And so let's, let's at least be fair when we're going back and resourcing. One of the things I wanted to tell your listeners, William Perkins, who's the grandfather of Puritanism, he wrote mm-hmm. a book called The Reformed Catholic, And I would recommend that every single person that likes the title Reformed Catholicity would read that. Because basically what the book says is, what do we hold fast to that the church Catholic has always held to? What do we reject? And so Mm -hmm. I think think if we go in on that angle, we should all call ourselves Reformed Catholics because we're part of that bigger church in which the holy spirit has been at work since you know pentecost
0: Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and, we, and we've made that distinction on the pod many times that, you know, there's a difference between Roman Catholic. And when we talk about the Catholic Church, like we see in the creeds, right, we're talking about the universal unified elect of God. Right. And it's 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 important to have that understanding, especially when interacting with folks within your church, interacting with folks online and interacting with, you know, Christians who are in different denominations and you come from different streams of of, of, of theological belief and that, that we have a set standard of essential truths that we need to believe in. And then things under that, that we are allowed to have some, some divergence. Um, it's very important that we don't lose the forest through the trees, that even in that disagreement, right? Even, you know, take, take you know, Reformed Presbyterians and Reformed Baptists, right? There is so much, so much agreement theologically on uh you know the importance of you know t- uh, uh, pure doctrine uh, confessionalism covenantalism right uh, uh, a good church structure like like there's so much that we agree on but nick i don't know i don't know if it's the same with you man but i i at times can grow pretty discouraged when i look around and and it's always it's always in the it's always in the places that it, that that you know It just seems our bread to cause trouble like social media and the Twitters and the Facebooks and all of this stuff. Right. Uh, I think there was a comedian. I don't know who said it, but, you know, his opening thing was, you know, Twitter's not a real place. Like we, we need to remember this. Like Twitter, Twitter is a is just a subsection of reality. But, Nick, when I look at stuff like like Twitter or I look at social media or even, you know, different books people will write or articles or even conferences and things like this, man. I can grow discouraged because I see such a desire, and it's it's not even it's not even a consequence. It, it almost seems like it's an active desire to have such focus on the things the and often the very minute things that separate us, instead of understanding like, look, we have been given a task by Christ to bring as many souls into the kingdom with us as possible, and it's. We're going to do that better and more effectively if we are focusing on the unity that we have. Obviously not while sacrificing truth, but but Nick, is this is this a frustration or a you know, a concern, especially kind of with the growing world that is social media and how far things can reach. Is this a growing concern for you, man? or, Or or should you just or you know, am I am I worrying about something that I shouldn't worry about?
1: No, I mean, these are hard things and things that I think about a lot. There are sort of two two errors. Um, One is probably more popular, and that's just sort of a rampant, like, ecumenism where it's like no matter what people believe, we're all Christians and just this big, big, you know, universal hug. And then Mm -hmm. um, on the other extreme, you have – you know, very sort of jacked up, you know, um, guys that just want to divide over everything. (laughs) And it it feels a lot like justification by knowledge that because they have Mm -hmm. to be right on this, they're going to separate from everyone. You know, I mean, for example, the whole can a Baptist use the word reformed? And Scott Clark's going to go on and on and on about how Baptists are not reformed, blah, blah, blah. I understand what he's saying. At the same Mm -hmm. time, I very much appreciate that we have a category of Baptists that is confessional and historically rooted and very, very, very similar to what we have in our own Westminster standards also interesting mm-hmm. to me, while you know the covenant sign matters supremely, and we should obviously care, and that's why we're in respective ecclesiastical fellowships mm-hmm. where we can believe and practice those things. But it is interesting mm-hmm. to me that when you look at the Westminster Assembly, that wasn't a Presbyterian assembly. There were a lot of Presbyterians there. There were congregational, congregationalists, there were Erastians, Church of England ministers. Um, and so there was a Catholicity even about the Westminster Assembly. And while Baptists were not included in there, the fact that the the London Baptist guys have adhered so closely to those so many of those tenets makes me appreciative of guys that want to call themselves Reformed Baptists, because I feel like we're so shoulder to shoulder and the church is so small. Why would we want to divide and pick. I mean, I want to have the best relationships mm-hmm. with guys that are that like-minded as possible. Cause yeah, there's a bunch man, of wacky I, stuff uh, out yeah. there and I don't want to have fellowship with so much of what's out there.
0: Yeah. That's a, I, I, I couldn't say it any better, man. And that, that is a, that is a, that's a tune that I have been trying to sing for such a long time and, and, and getting, getting folks to see, you know, Specifically within all, the, with, specifically within the infighting, as you've already alluded to, between Reformed Presbyterian and Reformed Baptists, right? Something um, I remember having a conversation with somebody in my local church that they started, you know, looking into Presbyterianism and things like that, j- just as a concept, because they wanted to know, okay, like we call ourselves Reformed Baptists, they call themselves Presbyterians, like why, you know, what. Why is there a difference? And I remember having the conversation with them, and they came up to me and they said that they were shocked. They were shocked to find how much they agreed with Presbyterian mm-hmm. theology. Obviously, up to the point until you guys start start dunking babies, right? But they're like, mm-hmm. they're like, like we agree so much. And I and I told them, mm-hmm. I said, look, he, he, here's, here's what we need to understand. Me, as a, as a Reformed Baptist, and, you know, I, I appreciated what, what you said at the beginning and that, you know, there are Baptists that are, you know, trying to and, and trying to hold to these confessional values that we have in our history. Right. And we see the importance of that. Um, I said, I have so much more in, in common theologically, scripturally, yeah, practically with a Reformed Presbyterian than I would a Baptist dispensational. Mm -hmm. And like the lights just kind of went on in the Mm -hmm. eyes and they're like, that's a hundred percent correct. Because although I might agree with the dispensationalists in terms of how we administer the, you know, the sacrament of baptism, I'm not going to agree with them on, you know, so much. Right. Whereas with the Presbyterian, it's the exact opposite. I have this little bit that, that we, we take different roads, right. When it comes to that fork. But everything leading up to that, man, it's just like, yes, agree, agree, agree. I'm shoulder to shoulder with you, and I wish people would focus on that more. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I think one thing that would help your listeners is to to commit to being someone that sincerely and thoughtfully tries to understand why others believe something different on Mm – any given issue so baptism obviously since we're talking about it you know i i had some of my best friends as a brand new christian were very outspoken calvinistic baptist guys and they pushed mm-hmm. me and pushed me and pushed me to the point where i thought i was reformed baptist what what i wanted to do was i wanted to study the issue so thoroughly that I would be convinced absolutely by scriptural, you know, exegesis and all the arguments, the biblical theology, everything, mm-hmm. that that I'm going to be convinced. And as I did that, I ended up embracing more of a historically covenantal view of things. At the same time, it also made me realize how difficult issues can be. A lot mm-hmm. of times when I hear guys that are real jacked up, or they're making what seem to be true, but they're actually really skewed caricatures of other groups. I, I usually yeah. think that's a person who hasn't studied very much this issue, and that's someone that thinks they know a whole lot more than they know. And <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I was a little bit surprised at Mark Dever's thing floating around there on Twitter where he was trashing Pado Baptist. I was like, it was just <laughs> I saw that, so yeah. not well done. <laughs> In my opinion. (laughs) Now, you know, John Piper, to his credit, and I'm not a huge Piper fan, I've listened to a lot of them, but his sermon on Romans 4.11, he basically sets out how Presbyterians and other, you know, covenantal Baptists would, would go from circumcision to baptism. And it was, I mean, and give it to the children from Abraham. And he he explained it and then he said and i think they're wrong but i actually remember yeah, thinking exactly. <laughs> i have a lot of respect for a man that's going to at least try to accurately present someone else's view yeah exactly
0: so i think if more exactly. people
1: did that if more people did that they would be more compassionate in their in their disagreements and they would be more apt to want to work together the other thing i'd say is i mean it's a no brainer that reformed presbyterians and reformed baptists should be working together the kingdom's so small. People have to mm. stop being so territorial. People, I, oh, I've yes. had it. I yeah. wanted to... I was going for the gold ring in my 30s. And now, I just want to mm. connect with other like-minded pastors and labor together. And yes. we've kind of seen that in Charleston and are seeing some more of that, I hope. So I think... I mean, I love this subject because I think it's super important.
0: Yeah. No, dude, I'm with you 100%. Like, I, I think... You know, you keyed in on one of the most important things. There is that we have all this disunity when people one don't do their homework and two care more about winning the argument than they do having unity with with the person that's across from them, right? And I'm in a I'm mm. in a you know I, I I thank the Lord for the kind of way that He brought me into reform theology because it is it is pretty I I think it's unique at least in the way that I jumped. So so I was raised. Uh, Baptist uh, uh, Dispensational right uh, came into a, kind of an understanding th- of Calvinism kind of through my folks um, they they would put on the TV they put on John MacArthur and then they would put on R.C. Sproul right those those were the two the two that they put on right and I I immediately gravitated much more t- towards Sproul uh, just because of just the way he communicated and right. just, just just the entire the entire Papa Sproul package you, you just can't beat it right um, but I came in to reform theology through Presbyterianism. Uh, I ended up working at a Presbyterian church with a very faithful, faithful Presbyterian minister. I still love him dearly, talk to him to this day. And he is the one, you know, that the Lord really used to introduce me to covenantalism, to introduce me to confessionalism and things like this. So I was, you know, for the first year, maybe year and a half, two years within my, you know, journey there. I was a reformed Presbyterian. I believed it all, you know, and then I started digging into confessionalism even more. And then, and then I heard this thing about reformed Baptists and I was like, wait, okay, what's this? You know? And I looked into this. So, most of the guys that i know go from reformed baptist to presbyterianism that's that that's the popular route i went the opposite way <laughs> i started in presbyterianism and then jumped over to reformed baptist and he's never he's never let me live it down um, i've but, i've only known but,
1: of one other person that did that and he's one of my best really? he's one of my best friends in the world he was <laughs> in my wedding He is a pastor of a Nine Marks type Baptist church, but he pushed me deeper toward a Presbyterian view of baptism before he switched. And I'm always like, "Dude, you were the one that helped me understand that
0: better." I bet, I bet he loves that. I bet he loves it too. (laughs) He's like, "Dog got it." (laughs) He's amazing.
1: He's a good dude. I know,
0: but but the reason I bring that up, one because it's a funny story, but two, it it. The Lord, I'm very thankful to the Lord for that because it has resulted, I think, in me being able to have a relationship with my Presby brothers and sisters that otherwise I might not be able to because I I understand where they're coming from. Right. And at the same time, I find myself defending Presbyterians. Uh, from, from, from Baptists who are like, well, they, you know, they just believe that their kids are saved and they just believe all these things. And I'm just like, you look, here's the thing. So much, so much of the critiques that we have against each other, just like you said, Nick, are born from ignorance. It's because mm-hmm. we haven't like we haven't done the due diligence. And if we would just take the time, take the time to dig into it, mm-hmm. right? we would see how much we have in common, how much a unity and joy that can be there. Even though we might disagree on an application of a sacrament, we both agree the sacrament's vital. We both agree it's Mm -hmm. biblical and it must be administered, right? And Nick, I can't tell you how many times, how many times I have had my quote-unquote Reformed Baptist card taken away by other individuals because I would agree with going to, uh, you know, a friend's paedo baptism service if they introduced me, or if they invited me. Right, I don't, I don't agree right. with paido baptism theologically, but if my friend who is a Presbyterian invited me, like I out of love because I love that person, right, and and just man, just even that thing, right. it just seems like that rocks so many people's world.
1: I know. So I, as a Presbyterian pastor, have to go the other way, and I have to work with a large constituency of Reformed Baptists in every congregation I've served, because they can't find a good London Baptist church like what they're looking for. Yeah. So they come to us, and yeah. we we don't treat them you know, any differently. And I make clear to them what we're going to teach, what we're going to practice. You're not going to like this. Please don't cause problems. But otherwise, right. and, you know, when one of them wants to baptize their child on a profession of faith, I can't dunk them just because of the vows I took to do baptism a certain way in our denomination. But if if they work with me to have a solid Reformed Baptist guy do it, knowing that this child's going to be a member in our church, I'm working with all these things. I may count that as mm. a irregular baptism, but I don't get to say just hard line on every, you know, I mean, being a member of yeah. a local church yeah. shouldn't be harder than getting into heaven
0: Oh man! in the sense that,
1: that you're, you're not right binding members to, to believe and hold fast to everything. You're doing that with officers in the, in the mm-hmm. confessions. So that, that's also helpful to me is just hearing what you said, but then as a pastor having to work the other way, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly, man. And this 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 tribalism within our camp, I really think has to stop because look, this let's just be honest. Like this culture is just getting worse. Things are just getting hotter. Like we need I need I need solid brothers and sisters around me. Whether they be Baptist or Presbyterian, I just need mm-hmm. to know that 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 we that we agree on what's true. Right. And then when it comes to when it comes to, you know, my Presby brothers, I I, I agree on so much more than than just what's true. We agree with ninety nine percent of stuff. I would well, so much rather go into battle, lock and arms with that guy than someone who's like, well, you know, I don't I don't really know what we believe is that big of a deal. It's like, no, like at least I know where you stand.
1: <laughs> right. Right. I think the other thing is it's an identity issue. So. Mm. You know, there's an old uh, Scottish Presbyterian, uh, he was a missionary to Israel, his name was Rabbi, they called him Rabbi, John Duncan, John Duncan, he was um, one of the great kind of British evangelical Calvinist guys, and he has this famous saying, he says, I'm first a Christian, then Catholic, then a Calvinist, fourth a Pado baptist and fifth, a Presbyterian, I cannot reverse the order. (laughs) It's great because what he's saying is, you know, all those things are important in my convictional belief in what God has revealed in his word, but they're not all equally important. So Mm -hmm. it's that sort of first tier. I've never liked first tier, second tier, third tier, because who gets to define that? But there is something of order of priority, you know, First Corinthians one. We can't say I'm of I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollo, I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm of Christ. You know that we, our identity is not in these distinctives or the historical manifestations that we tend to hold to as the tradition. It's that mm-hmm. we're Christians. And then we're Catholic. Yeah. We're part of the universal church, right? And yeah. and then we're Calvinists. We believe in the doctrines of grace. And then I happen to be a paedo-baptist. And then finally, I happen to be Presbyterian. And I think that's mm-hmm. always helped me, that if you keep those in the proper order, you're not saying these are unimportant. You're saying they're not right. as important. And then that yeah. means I can work with guys who have those first three things but then they don't right. want to give the covenant sign to the children, and they don't want to have a Presbyterian government. And we can have real debate, but our unity is in Christ and in the triune mm-hmm. God, not in our ecclesiology or sacramentology as important as they are.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then your your unity, your desire to work together. The love and joy that you have for each other is not tied up in the thing in those in those those lower tier things, because you're always remembering like, yeah, we can have conversations, we're going to have disagreement, we can have debate, but it's never void of love and the unity that that's linked from up top.
1: Right. And just having having that is so important. I, I just got to give this one thought because, you know, the SBC mm-hmm. is just such a massive thing and it, it just sure. sort of dominates all the the social media world and whatnot. And I was thinking recently, you know, why every year as it comes up on the convention, do I care so much? Why, if I yeah. have no direct links with the SBC, do I care? Well, I care because it's a manifestation of Christ's kingdom. mm. And so, when I look on at that, I can say, well, I don't want to be s b c and yet I can acknowledge that's a that's a manifestation of Christ church, and so we should care about those things, you know,
0: yeah, no absolutely man i am i am with you on that hundred percent i'm not s b c uh, i'm not p c a like i'm not e p c right but when I see major things happening in these denominations, I have people that I care about deeply that are in these dominations and it affects me mm-hmm. because I know it affects them and I love them dearly and I love them deeply. It's not because I'm worried about a denomination that I'm in. It's because these friends of mine that I lock arms with, that I love and that I cherish, they are going to be affected by these things. Right. So I see my you know friends that are in the SBC just pulling their hair out, like wondering, like, what is going to happen here? Right. I see my friend's in the EPC or the PCA kind of doing the same thing with different changes that are happening your guys' denomination, wondering like what's gonna happen. And I pray for them and I worry for them. And I and I and I want them to know that, you know, that you know, no matter what denominations do, the unity that I have with them, the love that I have for them it doesn't change because it's not based on a denomination. It's not based on, 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 you know, what, what, what type of, you know, organization is on our paperwork. It's based on the unity we have in Christ. And, and if we can confess that more, Nick, I think we would see so much more unity and so much more joy, uh, especially kind of within the reformed camps that we find ourselves in that just seem to be attracted to things that make them grumpy. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, Nick, my friend, there is so much more that could be said, so much more that probably should be. But uh, we we are about at time. I would love to get uh, a bonus ep with you, my friend. I'd love to kind of kind of dig into dig into the real Nick, the Nick behind the behind the camera, behind the pulpit, or talk about music, movies food TV shows just just we're going to get into it's going to be Nick uncensored but it's only for patrons right so you all have to head over to Patreon to get that good stuff but uh, uh, Nick my friend before we close out a massive massive thank you for being on the podcast man Uh, just really really appreciated your words and really just really thankful just that there are other like-minded guys like you that are trying to trying to strive for the same thing that that we are on this pod
1: Thanks, Josh. It was great to be on. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, Nick, before uh, we get out of here, I uh, kind of want to roll out the red carpet for you. Tell folks kind of where they can find your stuff, uh, you know, anything that you write, uh, any podcasts that you're associated with, pretty much anything. Just just go ahead and let listeners know where they can find you,
1: man. Yeah, I, I've written a lot that can be found at lignier.org and at the Table Talk magazine website, which is a separate site. Um, I have a ministry site called Feeding on Christ. It's feedingonchrist.com. And uh, the church is church-creek.org. Churchcreek.org. Right on.
0: Right on. All right, listeners. Well, head on over there. Go, go find Nick. Pick up his stuff. I've read a lot of his stuff, and you will be blessed just with the just with the content that's there. It's very encouraging. Um, we are on all the socials, folks. At Reformatory Pod, you know you can find us there. Uh, make sure to head on over there and leave us any likes and reviews. We really appreciate that. If you're on Apple or Spotify, I think you can rate the podcast, review the podcast, all that good stuff. We would definitely appreciate it. Head on over to Patreon. Sign up for a five dollar holla if you want to hear uh, Nick to. Uh, uh, you know, spill s- spill his guts over there. We're gonna ask him some real real probing questions. It's gonna be really really amazing. <laughs> so we thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you on the next step of the reformatory.